The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Set that you're looting, looting. I'm running. I'm running. James. It looks an awful lot like I'm bouncing James. on my chair, James. but I'm running. Do you, have the, do you have the camcorder? I want to get this on tape. I want to send it to. I want to send it to Fox uh, and friends. Why? James, run! <laughs> oh God! What are we oh, running oh, from, Paul? Record. <laughs> the lines. James, it's chaos in the streets. Chaos! Chaos in the streets! Chaos What? What is- what's happening? What's going on? You've seen the thing that's chasing us. You've seen it. <laughs> Have I, Paul? <laughs> James, the fat man cometh. Hey! Dear Lord, run! <laughs> I see him now! Oh, uh, it's been our best one yet. Welcome to the Third Men Podcast. We are a Jack White history podcast. I am your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. And I'm your co-host and apparently very scared of fats, James Kaminsky. (laughs) And we are very, very excited today. James, we are so excited today. We have got another genuine, famous person, musician, multi-instrumentalist, Fats Kaplan. We've, James, we've got Fats Kaplan on the show, and we're very excited about it. James, do you want to tell the good people, for anyone who has been living under a rock musician for the past <laughs> 40 years, would you like to tell the good people at home all about Fats Kaplan? I'm just going <laughs> to leave it to you. Yeah, Paul, Fats Kaplan, for those of you who don't know, he's a, a musician who has a long tenure in the music industry he's been around going from many different bands he's been a session musician he's been an artist of his own right his wife is an artist he tours most recently and most famously to us with jack white 
in his solo band, as well as having toured with Jack White in the Buzzards, he's well known in the Third Man universe. He's a Third Man family member. Yes, and a wonderful, wonderful musician and, and was very gracious with his time. And yeah, he's just done so much. His first album was released the year Jack was born, which I know not only through doing research about him, but because I just found it and purchased it on eBay. <laughs> And I'm very excited about it. <laughs> but yeah, Fats Kaplan, as James says here, he's he's been a third man family member for quite some time now. He's worked on Blue Series now since 2011, and he's done work on the Blunderbuss LP and the Lazaretto LP and toured on the Blunderbuss Tour and the Lazaretto Tour, and he was in the solo acoustic band, and he's an American epic. He's just done so much stuff with Jack White, and he's got this whole other career prior to Jack, so we were just thrilled to talk to him, and we're going to present that to you in another extended interview this episode. And we couldn't be more excited. I don't know about you, James, but this has been now between Fats Kaplan, Dominic Davis, and Bruce Brand. This makes like three Jack White adjacent musicians we've had on the show, and I still can't believe it happened. I'm wondering why it happened. I'm starting to become angry and believe there is not a god because we've able to <laughs> we were able to I've lost religion, James, because we've been able to secure this. Right. The hope that this brought you has destroyed your foundation. <laughs> crumbled but before we get to all fats james is there something we should stop doing paul we should stop a breaking down stop breaking down is a segment of the show that we do when we get something just fat out wrong. And this is the segment in which we correct it And uh, because we don't want to be wrong. We want to make sure that we're giving you, the public, the best answers we could possibly come up with. And so if we get something wrong, we have you guys send it in and tell us we're wrong. And you could shake your fists at us, you could waggle your finger, you could say shame, but we're going to correct it. We're going to do our best. So, Paul... What do we got on the Stop Breaking Down front today? Well, James, we have another Stop Breaking Down courtesy of our third woman in spirit every week, Callie Durga. Thank you, Callie. James, this is in reference to episode 38, where we had a third woman segment with Susanna Roundtree, who happens to do the intros and outros of our program. Mm. And that was a fell in love with a show bit where we talked about going to see Karen Elson. And James, we have not done a Karen Elson episode yet on the show. Would you say that's true? I'd say that's true. So, hey, full disclosure, we've done like the usual fan readings about Karen and things like that, but we haven't done, like, a deep dive. So I was trying to be as clear as possible when we were talking there that we'll do, like, a Karen episode and cover all this stuff eventually. But Callie Durgum says, you mentioned that Karen began her musical career with Ghost Who Walks While Married to Jack, and she mentions this Citizens Band uh, as being a part of her career. And to be quite honest, I don't know a whole lot about the Citizens Band, uh, but I do know that Karen was a part of it. Karen's musical career has been something in the works since around 2003 when she appeared with Robert Plant on uh, on Robert Plant's Dreamland album. She sang some backing vocals, and she's also been a part of several other bands or uh, musical acts, I should say, such as the Citizens Band, which uh, she's been appearing with them since around 2004. So, Paul, her musical career goes all the way back to the 
early 2000s, back when spiky hair was big and Smash Mouth was the rage of the nation. Yes, so thank you, Kelly, for that information. I think it would be fair to say her musical career as a solo artist, kind of kicked into gear after she got together with Jack, and 2010 really was sort of the start of that Officially, side of things. So I, yeah. From, from yeah. what I'm reading, in 2005, she had a, a single released. Yes, and as I mentioned, you know, we will go through and do a Karen episode, but this was really helpful to know, because honestly, I did not know that. Callie also went on to sort of smell some facts for us. She said, uh, what Susanna said about being a caretaker of the children and carving out a few minutes to write when possible is exactly what Karen described in interviews about ghost who walks she said she'd put the kids down for a nap and then go to her closet to sit and write because it was the only place she had complete privacy and according to her the album came into being when jack walked past the closet one day heard her singing through the door walked in and surprised her and told her she was going into the studio the next day who knows how much of that story is accurate but uh susanna's very canny observation was apparently spot on so hey thank you callie durga for pointing that out yes and uh all the This is very helpful information. Yeah, super helpful. Thank you, Callie, for letting us do a dive into that briefly. We're sure up Fats Creek right now, Paul, with a few paddles. So, James, we're just going to get right into this interview here. And uh, everybody, hey, enjoy. Fats Kaplan, here we go. Let's do this. We'd like to welcome our third man for this week, Fats Kaplan. Fats, we are so, so happy to have you on the show. I, uh, I'm like uh, verklempt. I'm verklempt over here, Fats. We're so happy to have you on the show. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you, James. Thank you, Paul. Glad to be on the show. Thank you so much for being on. As we were saying earlier, especially for being the 4th of July, which is the day we're recording. So uh, thank you for taking the time. Uh, we, we greatly appreciate it. And uh, we're both a little starstruck. So that's... <laughs> Well, it's no. It's perfect timing, actually. It's a perfect uh, morning here, and so it's all fine. Excellent. So, Fats, we're big fans of your music. We've been following your career. I think you, you first came into our musical awareness when you linked up with Jack about six years ago or so, but yeah. in getting to know your work more and more as the years have gone on, James and I always get a thrill when we see your name pop up on a credit, whether it's in a blue series or on something like American Epic or one of Jack's albums mm-hmm. or, or something outside of that. We'll, we'll kind of get to all that, but you know, we wanted to sort of start at the beginning here. James and I are from New Jersey, a hop skip from New York, but you were born in New York and uh, yep. was your was your family musical did you come from a musical house or how did you start to develop your musicality well uh, I actually I, w- I grew up in uh, Manhattan in New York City court Manhattan and um, in the city uh, I come from a family of book designer art teachers that kind of left being a kind of a bohemian uh, family <laughs> in, in New York City and my brother and I were, since tiny kids, were look, art artists. That's what we did. My mother was an art teacher. But um, oh, cool. in doing that, my father was a, though was a great lover of music and all types of music. And very, um, um, he passed away a couple of years ago. But I've still got, I've got like a lot, lot of wound up with loads of vinyl of his, and some of the, a lot of it I remember from childhood. But very, uh, he, he was deeply knowledgeable about classical music, but also had a great, uh, he loved um, 
Indian classical music, uh, world music, yeah. Japanese music. Also, would have been listening to at the time stuff like um, the Mothers of Invention, the Thirteenth Floor Elevators. I mean, very wide kind of esoteric taste. Mm-hmm, sure. So that music was around, though I didn't. I wouldn't. I guess really be thinking that much about it. Jazz, like early earlier fifties and sixties jazz stuff like that. A lot of Ravi Shankar uh, in the house. Uh, Radha Krishna Temple. Yeah, that's a lot of Ravi that. Shankar in the house. <laughs> and like you know, Ravi Shankar doing uh, stuff with, with uh, uh, collaboration records that were done like in say like the sixties and seventies. Like would have been with jazz artists too. He did that kind of thing. Right. Listening to the new Lost City Ramblers, and the fiddle is Tracy Schwartz, and the fellow with the harmonica and the push button zither, known as an auto harp, is my brother Mike Seeger, and here is my brother in law, John Cohen. It's all in the family. <laughs> what you gonna do now? I'll do Man of Constant Sorrow then with the auto harp. Farewell to old 
that was one of the main things that caused me to, to start going down to the Lincoln Center Library, and I realized there were all these issues on county and stuff like that. And um, that's why I always started playing that and going into early blues and world music and, and, and such. But really, that was the, it was the folk music scene. Wow. Yeah. So the first thing I ever played was banjo. And then when I was playing sort of this stuff and listening to it in, you know, these are all, of course, pre-computer days, in sort of more isolation because I didn't, as a kid, I mean, I'm whatever I am, you know, 13, 14, you know, young teenager, but not realizing, oh, there's folk, there's still, there's like folk festivals, there's folk scene, you know, I slowly became aware of this sure. and actually became aware of it through some slightly older friends that I met in New Jersey. <laughs> like, and it was a connection to New Jersey. And then I realized that there, and there was a thing there called the, um, if I remember this correctly, it's a long time ago, the Northern New Jersey Folk Music Society. Okay. They have little like, folk festivals and stuff like that. And like I went to one and I saw, I went to actually, I remember going to a, in New Jersey to like a house concert, but that was before there was even, you wouldn't have called it a house concert. It was, you know, it was sort of, but these people who were in, in the folk music scene, they had Gene Ritchie. The Appalachian singer in the living room playing, and I was, you know, a young teenager, and so that made a big impression. And through this playing and, and knocking around the, the scene of New York and New Jersey, and at a folk music festival in New Jersey, when I was 17 years old, I saw Roy Bookbinder, the fingerstyle guitar player, right, right, he right. does play. And then afterwards, sat in with him, and he was playing in a ha- inside the house, uh, a house. And through that meeting him, it eventually wound up going like on the road and recording with him at the age of, I went on the road with him at 17 and did the first record when I was 18, second I was 19. Um, He's very young. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I was was by far the youngest person (laughs) knocking around. Only kind of that East East Coast folk music and college coffee house scene and folk festivals and such like that. That's how I went into that world and that was my entrance to it i got the whiskey mama you got the gin i got the whiskey you got the gin come on baby let's drink and get drunk again hey whiskey what you say gin hey whiskey what you say gin come on baby let's It doesn't make no difference how drunk you may be because you don't hold back, baby, from loving me. You said that. So you said, uh, you said, Mom, Dad, I'm hitting the road. Uh, I know I'm only 17. (laughs) Yeah. I've become a rambler. (laughs) Yes, and yes. Uh, And I remember distinctly because of Ember. I said, you know, it meant, you know, not going to school or anything. I just went out and, and uh, told my mother, she's going, what are you going to do? What do you want to do or something like this? And I remember saying, I just want to be like, and I had this idea in my mind as most teenagers, I'm going, I just want to be like an itinerant, rambling fiddler, you know, <laughs> like that. And she goes, well, historically, that there have been there for, you know, thousands of years sure. like people travel around she goes okay that's oh man that is a very accepting mother <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it sounds very similar uh 
Pokey Lafarge did something very similar to that and left his house in Illinois. Really? Pokey. Yeah, in Illinois. Yeah. And uh, I think 17 or 16 or something, similarly uh, young. Yeah. And uh, it blows my mind that people like you and, and Pokey and the parents specifically are, are like, that's fine. Yeah, uh, I love it. It's great. That happens so. It's so fairly common, though. You know, I was actually recently, just actually a little while ago, rereading from the Paramount box sets of which Third Man put out in, you know, the of all those Paramount recordings. But you're reading the book, and you realize like so many of these guys who are, you know, the Jello Jelly Roll Mortons and all this. They started, and people were, were the early jazz guys out of New Orleans and stuff like that. I mean, they were like kid kids you know going out and doing it you know and that's how they hit the road you know from traveling from new orleans to chicago when somebody was 16 years old to join the you know blah 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 high steppers or something (laughs) did beat music play any part in it at all like i know dylan was out there you know hitting the streets in new york and stuff but you know was there Mm -hmm. that kind of hippie-ish beat music in in yeah as well well i mean more the 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 people that i would have been following aside from the like the more traditional folk meaning string band type people or something like that or would have been people like Dave Van Ronk, Jim Queskin, you know, those were the people that I really like looked up to, particularly those two. Hang me, oh hang me I'll be dead and gone Hang me, oh hang me I'll be dead and gone Wouldn't Because I know Dylan yeah. gets Dylan has the uh, folk, yeah, Dylan, he has the folk thing, it. but it's yeah. a, it's definitely a different kind of folk. So I was trying to to separate it in my head. Yeah, yeah. Well, just exactly you exactly right because what it would have been is like when I was young, like as I as I think back on it, like I didn't like like soft folk music I didn't like anything like that you know let alone something like the the, the Kingston Trio or something like that you know I would, wouldn't it would have to be something like Jim Questkin you know those guys where I could sense that was like you know the holy mode rounders you know those kind of guys right. and th- that's who I I really tried to emulate in yeah. a way you know right that, that's the yeah. uh, that's the age where that starts to solidify i feel like that 17 to 19 sort of age where you sort of pick what's going to be your thing and double down on it yeah. and then you start to maybe branch out a little bit more a little bit later but uh you know i know james and yeah. i certainly did that you know we grew up in a beetle household and so rock and mm-hmm. rock and roll is just in our dna um and, and and that was something we branched off from a little bit later but so you're a young man you're touring with roy what was it like the first time you were in a recording studio with him because that must have been I don't know. Was that intimidating for you, or was it? Did you feel at home in a studio when you're making that first record? How? What, what was that like? It was um, doing the first record. We recorded it at the barn in Vermont, and it was going to be out on Philo Records. But then, through a series of things that happened, it got put out by Nick Pearls on the Blue Goose Yazoo label. Mm. You know, and um, but we went to Vermont to record. And it's funny you say that because it wasn't at all intimidating like when I went out and pl- going out playing I'm trying to think back but it wasn't intimidating to be in the studio 
because all we did was we we were just playing like exactly like we played on stage, which was just some microphones on some instruments and playing. Like, and I think back on like I didn't even have you know the idea of like you know I didn't use a pickup or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I, I was talking to somebody a while ago about this. Is like I did. It wasn't like a choice. It was like I didn't even know that there was such a thing. Like, all I did was just put a microphone on a fiddle or a banjo and play it. I didn't even think about it. Right. I didn't know any different, you know? Sure. So when you just sit down, we just sat down as I look, you know, kind of just across from each other and we just started playing tunes. Hey, hey, your dad is feeling blue. very old type style and I didn't know enough to, to be thinking much about it you know what I yeah, mean right. if that makes sense James that was all very fascinating couldn't be more fascinated I really enjoyed how you pointed out the similarities between what Fats Kaplan did and what Pokey Lafarge did and Fats going on and sort of saying like yeah you know leaving home to become a musician is sort of a tale as old as time, really. It, even though it sort of seems like a little counter to what we've been sort of conditioned into thinking is a normal way to live a life. It's really something that has a very long tradition. And so it was cool to hear that Fats had that opportunity to do that, really see the world. And I thought it was very interesting and insightful. Yeah, it's nice to see where his roots come from and to see that he's keeping a tradition of the Ramblin' Man, which I had thought was a long dead tradition until uh, we're apparently drowning in rambling men, Paul. Yeah. It's raining rambly men. <laughs> Um, Give me the roots! Give me the roots! It's also fascinating to know where rock folk like Dylan and Donovan would fit into the inspiration and culture that that Fats is immersed in, because he seems to be going with an entirely different form of folk than I'm familiar and what I would have assumed someone who tours with someone like Jack White would be into. Although it does make sense that he would be into these old Americana roots style music. Yes, and I was happy that you mentioned Dylan because he sort of, you know, when we were talking, he sort of brushes by Dylan a little bit, but he mentions this guy Dave Von Ronk, and I wound up looking into this dude, and I had never heard of Dave Von Ronk before. Hmm. And it's cool. Like, he's almost a proto Jeff Buckley type, but like Jeff Buckley, if Jeff Buckley was Bob Dylan or something, it's like this real mellow rootsy sort of folk but it was interesting he covered a lot of old 30s blues songs like the cocaine blues Mm -hmm. and i found a part of that song which i thought was really cool and it was really cool hearing his stories of things like the new lost city ramblers and the 13th floor elevators and you know that he was inspired by the mothers of invention all that stuff's really cool really paints a full musical picture of fats and how he came to be yeah And I'm glad to know this information now, and the bands that uh, he mentioned, uh, I'm looking forward to diving into a little more. Yeah, so James, without further ado, speaking of diving in, I think we're going to get back to this here episode here. Let's go. 
So you're out with Roy, you're doing your thing. This is in the 70s now, and it seems it seems you maintained your rambling status for quite a while longer. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about some of the other groups you played with and your path throughout the late 70s and the 80s? Yeah, I mean, this, the, the 70s I played with Roy, I, I got then for work with him a couple of years and had this idea that I wanted to do like early jazz. I was really trying to do that, but I, I didn't have enough technique. Mm-hmm. I studied for a while with a, cause I was self-taught entirely. And I studied actually with a, a violinist for oh, a year or two. And I studied with another guy for some musical theory and took solfeggio and actually learned to read music. But this is all like in, you know, and I'm in my twenties now doing this stuff, right. you know, uh, knocked around, took up pedal steel. That was one thing, you know, uh, in the seventies, like later seventies. And into the 80s doing a few other things and then eventually joining up with the Tom Russell band, this is the writer Tom Russell, mm-hmm. uh, which was a band out of New York City that I was in for many years. Right. And we, t- we toured extensively. Uh, we would work around the city area. We'd work like in New Jersey, Long Island, you know, playing mostly, you know, bars and hockey tonks and, and stuff like that. Then we would go to Europe and Scandinavia and for like extended periods of time we had we had um, Norwegian backers at one point we recorded three albums over a period of a number of years in Oslo <laughs> and then had a Swiss agent so we just started spending time in, in like Switzerland out of basing ourselves out of there and you know spinning out to do festivals and stuff in Europe and coming back and trying to survive in the city you know until we could get back out again and play and I did that wow. for a number of years and your approach and style seems to have remained fairly consistent over that time as sort of popular music changed around you. It took a dive into that folky thing in the late 60s, early mm-hmm. 70s, but by the 80s, you know, aside from the people who had been doing it for a little while, it seemed to have really died down a bit. Did you ever feel like popular music had just left your taste behind and you weren't interested in anything like that? Or over the years, did you find things to relate to in, in artists from the, from the New Wave era or from punk or things like that? I think I always kept up with uh, finding, there was always stuff to be, people were always doing stuff that was interesting, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, you know, if you're living through, you know, whatever the disco scene, you know, (laughs) era, and you just hear that a lot, you know, and it, it had made, neither here nor there for me but but there's still at that point there was always stuff going on even during that period you right. know and in the city or in musically or festivals or there's always was something that was going on that i would be uh listening to i mean the bands that, that and the music that i was in it was sort of like they were progenitors of you know, what they were of like americana music sure. of of roots music of what it was when there wasn't any name for it and you know, mixing up things and we, genre wise, I was mixing up. I was always, I've done that pretty much my whole life because I've been, you know, as I said, started out from the folk 
kind of angle, but went into other, you know, had interests in, in 20th century composers and mm-hmm. and world music and other things that very, you know, moving in and out of that. Right. And, and bands would come along, like I can remember going with my good friend uh, to, when the first EP, they had, it was called, I believe it was called And a Time to Dance, Los Lobos came out oh, with this yeah. EP. And we were so impressed with it that we went to see their first New York City appearance when they were opening up. And I think they opened up for NRBQ uh-huh. at Irving Plaza. And I mean, nobody knew who they were, sure. you know. And we went to see them. I went backstage and talked to them, you know. <laughs> it's like, because bands like that were like, they were still around, you know. Uh, and then, of course, Steve Earle and Dwight Yoakam and, sure. you know, people like that first came out. I mean, it was... It's hard to think back. I mean, it was like so, wow. Right. It's, yeah. And you wound up collaborating with, with Dwight later, but were, yeah. were, you, were you around for the American Epic session that Los Lobos did? No, I wasn't actually there on that day when they came in because, they, you know, we would be on call. Right, right. Uh, right. Lene, Dominic, and I would be on call. I know we'd get called in, but because it was Los Lobos, you know, I mean, we, we were thinking about going over, but it was like, uh, we won't go over to the studio that day. We'll just let them do it. Yeah. Sure, yeah. But, um, and I missed, like, I, I wasn't there when Elton was there. You know, just... It just wasn't. That's all. We'll sort of get to that a little bit later. I just wanted to, uh, I was wondering if there would have been like, hey, you remember me? You know, with Los Lobos. I've played, I've played, I haven't actually said, I've done, like, I played with them at, I was in the house band a couple years ago at the Ryman for the American Music Awards and played with, actually played button accordion with Los Lobos. Oh, wow. Yeah. But like, I, I just, I, I could never say, you know, remember me. But, you know, it was a long, 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 long time. <laughs> I guess you have to uh, separate that part of yourself out a little bit there and uh, and play the gig. But so let's let's fast oh, yeah. forward a little bit. I one of the more interesting things I discovered when I was researching you and getting to know your body of work a little bit was you you playing with Pure Prairie League in, uh, yeah. in the nineties. How did that come about? Okay, they had disbanded in the eighties and then they re. So I've got this remembered, but I'm pretty sure they reformed in nine. 90- 99 with a, with a couple of the original guys and then myself Shell were and I think through that just my name came up they were looking need something you know somebody could play pedal steel and a few other instruments and uh, my name got thrown in the hat and I started working with them and I worked with them off and on for a couple of years yeah just doing a lot of you know a lot of stuff like Poco and Pure Prairie League and stuff I traveled around um, with them That's cool. What was it like entering into a group that was pre-established? I, I know only a couple of the original members were in there, but did, did you find yeah. that a natural fit? No, it was a very, and also it's just, you know, kind of pedal steel or stylistically, it was very kind of 
up my alley, really. That type of stuff, which I would have been listening to, you know, very with pedal steel. I was very influenced by um, the West Coast play. They would call the, the West Coast players, meaning Ralph Mooney, Tom Bromley, the, who played with Buck Owens, uh, Sneaky Pete, of course, <laughs> but very, very much so, you know. And Sneaky yeah. Pete fits into that, you know, that world of like John Hawes, the was the steel player of had that kind of you know a little kind of spidery you sure, know kind of sure. sound yeah. you know so that was all kind of my influences pretty heavily uh, when I was learning pedal steel right right so a lot of common musicality there the, so, yeah so for, from that point on I mean that brings us into the 2000s and there's a lot of cool releases from you over the course of a few years there I mean you have a couple different things you have the Kane Welch Kaplan stuff uh, mm-hmm. that you were a part of but you also had a, a solo record you had the Fat Man Cometh in 2006 and there's the World yeah. of Wonder Down Under these are all amazing titles by the way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks thanks yeah tell, yeah tell us a little bit about how that I guess you'd call it era of your career like it seems like it's own sort of thing it kind of took off in those early 2000s and then carried you throughout most of the decade yeah i mean doing that we started with with uh well kevin well i mean sequentially kevin wells who i'm going to the studio with uh, tomorrow is is was he was the reason i moved to nashville i okay. mean he and i didn't know him that well but he invited me when it was on the warner brothers like he, he i had met him at a festival in europe i think switzerland actually and then he was playing trance in new york he called me up i went down and played but sat in with him in the band and and then I hadn't heard anything from him for a while, and Tom Russell Bennett disbanded, and he would, and said, you know, have you ever thought about moving to Nashville? And I was really, at that point, really desperate to, to get out of New York City, you know, to do something else. And so it was a real, it was like perfectly timed. Mm-hmm. And I moved to Nashville in 92, mm-hmm. and through that, you know, started playing with Kevin, uh, playing, and through that, then the beginnings of the Dead Reckoning Records, which was the artist-run record company with um, those guys, Kevin and Kieran and Mike Henderson and Harry Stinson and blah, 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 and, and touring as a seven-piece band and, and that whole world of the earlier mid-90s into the, you know, doing that. And also in this period, I met my wife, Christy Rose, who's the singer who was with Nishis, uh had the band The Midnight Walkers, and we were in New York City at the same time, we were both also on Rounder Records at the same time. <laughs> All I know is there was blood band was uh, important like you know that for lack of it they would have called it cow punk or you know sure. but she was doing like that with um there were her there was a band like rubber rodeo there was uh jason and the scorchers you know that goober and the peas but <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it was a bunch of them that, that were kind of around at that you know the surreal mccoys yeah. <laughs> that was 
It seems like Nashville would have been a perfect fit for you musically. You know, they have that perfect infusion of folk rock and the country is there and pretty much everything is there. And you being an aficionado of of pretty much everything, it seems, and and, uh, being a multi-instrumentalist, it seems like a a very good fit and a very good time to be in Nashville. Yeah, it was. It was a time when it it was a big booming. It was like a boom time at that point there was a lot of recording there was a lot of demo recording going on there was a lot of record companies still there you know at that point it was there was it was sort of not like now it's just insane but but it was a, a boom of, of a certain type in the music scene going on it was a good time to move it was really reasonable to live here you know at that point mm. um i met my wife uh, got married got to, went on working with her doing records touring you know we still tour quite a bit as a duo and um do projects like that off and on so was that dead reckoning um Kane Mills Kaplan spun out of the dead reckoning to where we did you know a couple of albums three albums my worries keep calling they won't let me rest Tired of fighting, but I can't give in. If I lose this struggle, if this time I fall, I surely will see the end of my road. And I ain't gonna do it, I ain't gonna fall, I ain't gonna do it, that's all. And toured quite a bit, like in Australia. Oh, wow. which, Is that where the World of Wonder Down Under would have taken place as well? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, that album was actually put together in time to, to be taken on tour down there. Okay, that's awesome. Because um, you had recorded a song on that album called Pretty Polly, which yep. Lily Mae Rishi actually recorded actually on one of her albums, Rain on the Piano. Did you find that you have a lot of like common musical tastes with a lot of Jack's band members? Yeah, let's see. It was very diverse. I mean, like the band, well, if you go back to 2012, and let's say we, we went out on tour with the guys and the girls, right? Mm-hmm. The Buzzards and Peacocks. So that's when we all got the two bands we traveled together on one tour bus with Molly, the assistant tour manager. And so it was full and it was really, and so you're talking about really divergent, you know, everybody of guys and girls, you know, musically. Lily, at that point, was on that tour. She turned 21 in Berlin, <laughs> I remember. So, so she, you want to talk about somebody who got on the road early. I mean, she was, she's, you know. Well, she was out there at three years old, right, with her brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, she, you know, there was a, a, a fiddle, of kind of fiddle tunes in a, of that world. We had that in common. Polly, pretty Polly, please come along with me.
and I have a lot of uh, similar because he comes from he's got feet both in the folk world from his wife Rachel mm-hmm. and their family to to being in the very first you know bands ever with Jack when they were teenagers. Right. So he's got those two feet in both uh, in those worlds in a way, and and as Jack does too. Really, you know, I mean, his knowledge of like you know folk music, blues, Dylan. You know, to uh, Iggy Pop or whatever. I mean, it's it's actually most people who are maybe not so familiar don't understand the broadness of music. You know that he comes from, and then you know Daru, who comes from the you know the Pentecostal church scene, and uh, Carla Zar, who comes from the you know the indie you know rock band scene in L.A. and just goes on and on. Right. We'll talk a little bit about the Jack stuff in just a moment, but I, I had one last question about the solo era of your recordings. You had recorded World of Wonder Down Under at Tone Chaparral, which yeah. is the same studio where Paul Birch recorded in 2003, his album Fool for Love. How did you and Paul get to know each other? We we have, uh, I preface that with, we have a friend who worked with Paul on a movie soundtrack recently, and he speaks very highly of Paul, and we found out oh, yeah. early on that you and Paul had known each other and collaborated and things like that. How did you guys get to know each other? We've known each other a long time like I'm saying you know it's pushing probably 20 years you know and and man just because because Paul was part of the very he was one of the people that were doing the very first playing on Lower Broadway when Lower Broadway when we moved to Nashville Mm. and it's hard for people to imagine now but even 92 which isn't you know there's but in 92 I mean Lower Broadway was just a a few dumpy bars Mm. It was not a destination. Right. <laughs> just a bunch of alcoholics hanging out. Nobody wanted to go down there. It was really beat. And that's when there was a couple of, of like, the band BR549 and Paul and, you know, a few other folks started saying, hey, we can play down here, you know, just to start a scene. And, like, when BR549 started playing down there with our friend KDK, who came from New York, too, and fashion scenes and, and extremely close and old friends with Christy Rose we would go down and see BR 59 we'd, we'd come back and go man there's this great band playing downtown called BR 59 everybody would go like yeah I guess I don't know <laughs> <laughs> it couldn't be that good you know because it's yeah. downtown right, you know, right. it's on Laura Broadway yeah and and so Paul was part, he was in, in and out of that scene, okay. you know. So I met him and, you know, we started played here or there with him. And we were, like, very close friends. Like, I'm, I'm coming up with a two-Thursday residency at the Five Spot coming up the next two Thursdays here. And, like, he's the guest on the first one, as oh, he is nice. all the time. And, you know, but always play. Like, if there's, I mean, I play with Paul probably more than any other person in Nashville. Wow. Yeah, we hear about the five spot a lot. I know Margot played there quite a bit. And uh, James Mm -hmm. and I haven't been to Nashville since 94. So we've been wanting to go back very badly. It's been a minute. Yeah. I think the five spot is going to be one of our first uh, destinations when we get down there, aside from Third Man. Yeah, it's it's very cool. I mean, the five spot is one of my favorite. You know, I mean, scenes have moved, you know, in the years. Like there was a time when this club called Fault and Porter was at one point in the 90s. It was sort of like the home base of cool music and 
a lot of young people working there and they've gone on to do different things and Christy Rose used to put on these super elaborate things called Thrillbilly Love Fests which were like with, you know uh, Oh, I love that. Thrillbilly? I'm, oh, I'm going to use that. Thrillbilly Love Fest. Yeah, they were like and we had hand on posters and there would be like dancing girls on hay bales and stuff going off and it was, it was, it was like really elaborate things and everybody was, was really into it. It was part of that that we were all you know younger than and people who worked at the club were young and but that's all that scene is kind of everybody went off in different directions and opened restaurants and did this and that and now it's like in East Nashville it's like Five Spot is one of the local cool places where the music was almost always you know, I just played there last Saturday night actually oh cool and it's one of my favorite clubs to play now awesome awesome cool to hear about the rest of Fats's journey as he right before he met Jack White. One of the first things I found when I was researching Fats before our interview was that he was with Pure Prairie League, which sounds like it didn't make that much of an impression on him, but you know, in hearing him talk about it it sounds a little like, you know, sort of a gig, you know, that he was doing and but I found that kind of really interesting actually. <laughs> kind of very cool and then hearing about the other stuff him getting together with Kane Welch Kaplan and putting out the Fat Man Cometh, just a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, and also hearing about the World of Wonder Down Under. I just love these titles, Paul. This man comes up with good titles. Yeah, it was really cool, and, and he was talking about how he got together with Paul Birch and all that stuff. Yeah, it's it's interesting how many people we are running into who know this Paul Birch fellow, who uh, <laughs> who we wouldn't know if it weren't for Vintaturo, uh past guest and uh, friend of the show. So, small world with a fat man. <laughs> I mean, I think we're just getting a better sense of the different clicks, maybe, of the music world, which I was largely unfamiliar with. That's why I love this podcast and love researching it and love talking to people, because we start to see these recurring themes and faces and ideas that I didn't even realize were there. Mm -hmm. So that was really interesting. Yeah, all the puzzle pieces are finally fitting together and snapping in. Yes. Lots more puzzle pieces left to go on this interview, James. I think we're going to get back into it here. Okay, let's jump right in. Speaking of local cool spots, let's talk a little bit about Jack being down there, Third Man Records. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think your first recording session for Third Man was the Becky and John Blue Series? No, the first thing I did was with uh, First Aid Kit. Oh, wow. So how did you first get into that orbit? How did you first get introduced to Jack? How did that all come together? I got a call from Lalo. The tour manager. Yeah, yeah tour manager. And he was to do some a few shows and do some European shows with Karen Elson, mm-hmm. who Jack was married to at that time. Because he was working with both. And so they looked me up and they needed to look like somebody could play fiddle and steel was one of the things. And so I went and had a, uh, got together with her, had a rehearsal. Then I think I did a show or something. We were going to do something in Europe and every so we set up to rehearse at Third Man, but I had not met Jack. And then, you know, Jack comes walking in to, you know, listens to the band, says, okay, you know, this, that, meets everybody, and that's where I met him. So we went to Europe and uh, with, with Karen did some shows, and, and uh, that's where Josh Smith is, like, now, he's the, he's the main engineer now at, at Third Man for years. Josh was on it, and Olivia Jean was in the band. Mm-hmm. 
and Olivia was Jack was helping put together a band and got Olivia, who he had met, to be in the band. And she was 19 years old and had never been the bass player in the band. But he handed her a bass and said, "You're going to be the bass player." <laughs> She's pretty ad- adaptable, it seems, uh, from her yeah, musical yeah. background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then that's where, and that's and then you know, and a few other folks, and that's where I met. So when I came back. I, I, came back and I got a call as is real typical like on day of they just uh, Josh called me up and said hey uh, Jack would like you to come in and play steel on this you know these girls from uh, from Sweden so I said um okay and uh, I came in and after the first time I came in and I did that And just started getting, and then I was just in the orbit and just doing a lot of stuff and started piecing together. Also, realizing the stuff we were doing was like being pieced together for the for you know the first Jack White solo record. Yeah, also, yeah. When we were chatting with Dominic, he was telling us that a lot of this is uh, at a moment's notice where Jack will call you and say, "Can you come in today?" And you just kind of have to say, "Like, okay." Uh, and then when you do it, after he, he says it's just going to be a demo, it'll end up being, you know, the actual song. So he seems to have a reputation yeah. for doing that kind of drop of a hat kind of deal like uh, like he did with First Aid Kit. Oh, yeah. He's just, this is the way he operates. I mean, it's not, it's just when he's really, um, you know, firing and all pissed, he'll just do that. Go like, hey, let's go do it. Hey, just call him up. You know, <laughs> and I only missed one blue, I only missed one blue series that I got called for. And I was with Christy Rose. We were headed to Ohio to do some shows in Ohio. And I, I was hours and hours out of, you know. And Josh, it was Josh, called me up. He goes, hey, Patrick, you want to come in and do a, a, a blues series? Jack would like to come in. I said, oh, sorry, Josh, man, I'd love to, but uh, I'm on my way to Ohio, you know. He said, oh, okay. And I said, sorry, and I go, who is it? And he goes, Tom Jones. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, Oh, don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, there was another one. There was another one where I was going to, uh, to see some family on my west side, which is in North Alabama. We were going down, and we had driven about maybe, not quite an hour, but, but heading down, you know, leaving Nashville. Josh calls me up, and he goes, uh, hey, dude, we're doing a session here at like 2 o'clock. Can you be here? And I go, well... I said, I'm driving down to Alabama. And he, go, and I go, and he goes, who is it? He goes, Beck. Oh, oh, man. I tr- turned the car around. No way. <laughs> That's so I turned crazy. the car around, headed back, went straight to the studio, met Beck, and then from that, 
I got, he was doing his own record, so he, he said, well, why don't you come in the studio the next day? I came into the studio, worked all day with him there. Then he said, could you put together a rhythm section and we'll go over to Oceanway Studio and do some more recording? And I said, sure. And I called up two guys I know. And we went in the studio. So, and eventually, so through all of that, I did make it onto one cut on the album, which wow. became album of the year. Yeah, was that morning phase? That's the one where I was looking, I'm looking at the album, and I'm finally going, like, wait, and I'm reading it down, going, I don't know, not on that, and that, and just finally go, oh, here. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I tell you, and I go, it goes banjo, and I go, banjo? I play banjo? <laughs> 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 That is crazy. Was Christy Rose in the car with you that time, too? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, she just goes, turn the car around. Okay, that's a very accepting <laughs> wife. Uh, but, he, you know, it's just the way that, you know, that it would roll and, and stuff like that. But it was always great. I loved doing the Blue Series. Yeah, sure. You know, from working with Jack and particularly certain ones, which, you know, probably, probably my favorite was Insane Clown Posse, actually. Yeah, you have this style of music you played in for a very long time, and then Third Man happens, and suddenly you're with Insane Clown Posse and, 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 and others, and so I wonder, what, did that strike you as gimmicky to you, or did it just strike you as sort of another way of looking at world music, you know, another way of just looking at different types of things? How, how did that strike you, that diversity? No, I mean, I... I didn't strike it, it that's very doesn't strike me as being I mean there is a thread that kind of goes through it like the whole thing of, of Jack doing insane clown posse and because they have Detroit connections and and you know because he got a lot of flack for doing it but I'm going but there's, they were very cool they yeah. were very cool I mean normally when you have a lot of times like an idea or ideas about how to do something or thoughts or you can bounce across it when that when he was like real specific about that whole Mozart music and the whole thing about Mozart and doing the obscene lyrics that he had Mozart had actually written and, right. and, and he had this whole thing and it was a, I played fiddle and cello uh, there was a cellist there and this whole thing of a woman who sang in German was trained as a worked at third band but she was trained as a, in opera and, and but the best was Trump when these guys come you know the, when the posse comes in and they're like you know they come to the studio and come up in the black SUV and, and Jack's going okay now this is Mozart's song he's got to and he's explaining it to them you know like about what we're going to do yeah and then we're going to Jeff the Brotherhood who is standing over in the corner where they're going to go into it with this kind of this thundering rock thing and then you can rap over it and they're all like looking at him going okay okay <laughs> like, and they did it Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Mm. Yo, Shaggy, what you know about Mozart? Not much. 
fact, I don't know shit, Jay. I think it was Def. Def is a goat? Nah, man. Def is in, he can't hear shit. Nah, man. That was beef oven. See, what I know about Mozart is that he was a freak. Freak? What you talking about? Well, he had some underground shit people don't know nothing about. Like what? Like a song called Lick Mick Arse. What does that mean? It means lick my ass, bitch. Drop that shit, Jack. been kind of divisive in the fan community for sure i think me and paul are both of the mind that we love it because you know it's different and it's quirky and it fits and we we couldn't be happier that people like you and you know jeff the brotherhood are playing on this record and it's also it must have been a big deal because it was one of the only uh blue series singles to have an actual trailer for it which is incredible great yeah and it was was, i think he you know perhaps i think jack took a kind of get that subversive kind of he enjoyed the response of just like oh this will really mess with people you yeah. know kind of thing yeah. like to try to do this but then again you should but if you were there and you could see the way that they they got it together and they did the b-side was kind of like a they were going to do like this kind of you know hillbilly shotgun wedding thing and, you know and they were just making it up on the spot you know mm-hmm. and quite quite well i mean quickly yeah and they they get the whole they got the whole thing and that was that was kind of it was fun to do that I mean, there's so many that I've done. You know, and the back one was really fun. That was great one to do. Oh, I love that single. We'll just rattle them off here. You did the Becky and John single. You did yep. Insane Clown Posse, First Aid Kit, Black Milk, which we know is the thing that brought Daru Jones into the orbit. Yeah, that's what I met him on that. I met Daru on that. Sure. And then that branched off, I guess, into the recording session that wasn't with uh, RZA, <laughs> which branched off yeah. into Blunderbuss. So there's a lot of yeah. connection there. You had the Beck one, Karen Elson stuff, obviously, Brittany Howard, Gary yeah. Haynes, Dwight Yoakam, Kate Pearson. Yeah. So many different artists, and you really are one of the more common people on all of these different records. Just looking back, that's a diverse group of people. <laughs> you know? It is. It's very diverse. It's very, uh, I don't know, I, I just think it was it was a great time, you know, to, for doing that stuff. And, you know, Jack would never think twice about, you know, he'd just go, we'll get Fats in here and just yeah, bring, uh, I don't know, a steel guitar and uh, you got some, you know, other instrument and have it one that goes like this and, you know, like, you know, go, sure, 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 and I'll just bring a bunch of stuff and he never he just knew whatever would probably work so yeah is that his production style just in the moment on the fly instinct uh, yes very very much he's like he'll have thoughts of, but a lot of times he's fearless in that he'll come in and go like okay you know what hey why don't you do this you play very well we'll plug this guitar and we'll run it through this the blah 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 do that and then you know if you could sit there and like you play the organ with a he'll and he's not he wasn't sitting around thinking about this the night before you know he's just going he's going yeah yeah do that that sounds great right even when we were doing the album like I'd, I'd be here well he's saying you play this and you double this line with the blah 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 and I'm going I don't know man I'm thinking to myself this sounds I don't know if this is going to work it sounds kind of funky you know but then you hear it back later and you go oh 
That's exactly right. Right. You know? right. It so tracks with that idea of the energy from spontaneity. He's always about whether it be on the road with no set list or calling people at the last minute or anything like that. It seems there's a an overall theme with his approach to trying to capture energy and mood on a record uh, or, or oh, yeah. in a live performance. You know, yeah, speaking absolutely. Of, speaking of record, uh, you know, you, you mentioned earlier throughout those Blue Series singles, you know, sort of Blunderbuss was starting to take shape. Uh, you played on a lot of that album. You played fiddle on 16 Saltines, mandolin mm-hmm. on Hippopotamus Poor Boy, pedal steel on on and on and on. One that I wanted to ask you about was the track Blunderbuss. You played what is just the most beautiful pedal steel on that song. It's just, it's one of the highlights of that track. No, thank you. It stood out to me at the time and and sticks with me today. sessions and maybe particularly that song blunderbuss sometimes those songs were not like as you're hearing them they weren't in exactly that form you know meaning that sometimes there would have been maybe not lyrics Mm -hmm. you know or we were just doing the the form of the song Mm -hmm. or sections of the song and i think the use of me playing like pedal steel and fiddle and stuff like that it's more i'm I'm pretty sure because i did play it Mm-hmm. It, it wound up being used more because it's sort of what was being there, you know, being right. used right. and stuff like that. So he would use it in, in more using the steel or other instruments sometimes in not the way you would think of it being used, which is something that I really enjoy. I really like that. I, I love when instruments are not used in the standard context that you would imagine them to be. Right. You know? Yeah. Was it your idea to do the pedal steel on that or was it uh, arranged that way or no i think it was more i think it was more just sort of like but there were instruments set up and because i do play pedal steel we just like let's try you know that'll be good patty you know kind of electric well i mean pedal steel is an electric guitar but <laughs> that type of, of sound would work i mean you know and jack would know right yeah. so from there you obviously went on tour following that album we talked about that a little bit mentioned it earlier there was the guy group which is the buzzers which you were part of and the peacocks which was the girl group uh-huh. and and that that tour was just incredible and we know there was a a lot of last minute like is this band playing is this band not playing well you know one thing when we were talking to dominic we didn't ask which it would be cool to know was how much notice were you actually given of which band was going to play and which wasn't? You would get a text day of show <laughs> before lunch. <laughs> that's it. No, that's it. Wow. It was, it was always, you know, you get a text on the day of show and usually it's like probably before lunchtime. Wow. And whether you're playing or not. <laughs> were you ever like, damn it, I was, was going to try and chill out tonight? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, yeah, or it's more the opposite because, right. you know, and it got into it, you know, because and then it would be generally it was alternating. But a lot of times it was, um, but you couldn't, if, you, if it was alternating, then everybody would know when it's alternating. Right. Yeah. Right. So there were times when it would be, you know, it would be like the girls, then the girls, right. then the guys, then the girls, you know, and then right. reversed, you know. So and there was always like, a, you know, I mean, competitiveness within, you know, about the two bands were very different, you know, in a lot of ways. Because uh, he was uh, not only was he a great fiddle player on tour with many bands, but he was also a, uh, uh, a personal assistant for Richard Nixon for many years. I know Paul had seen you in uh, in New York at Roseland during that tour, and it was the girls first, and then you guys were already set up on the side to do the guy band as the encore. Yeah. So it seems like they did mix that in a little bit too, or you guys mixed it in. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was not. Like there was a cave, there was about two or three times where we did a transition where girls would filter off and the guys would filter on or vice versa to change over while we're doing something on stage. But it only happened two or three times. That thing at Roseland, which you just mentioned, mm-hmm. yeah, because you're talking about spontaneous, that was one of the boat we walked into Roseland and we're in the jacks looking it over and they had, of course, the crews in there, they set up on the stage and then the side stage, which was the original stage where the bands would play to Roseland uh-huh. was there and Jack's like looking at it and he goes he walks up to it he looks at it and he's walking and he goes okay you know what I want to do <laughs> I don't let the guys who appear and he did and he and it was completely off the cuff the crew was going uh, okay you know and they had to run an entire system to do that I would just like to say I was all the way on the side for that show and when the curtain opened and I was front row for for that set, that was the single most thrilling concert experience of my entire life. Uh, and it was because it was just it wasn't just like I've been front row before, but it was it was like I had already resigned myself like, oh, I'm not going to get close. Like, it sucks, but whatever. It's fine. And then it happened. So thank you for that. And uh, if, if you ever have the opportunity over brunch or whatever the f- Jack eats, just <laughs> please, please tell him thank you. That made, that was the biggest concert experience of my entire life. It was amazing. Yeah, I will. And it well, I tell him because it was. That was totally like on walking into the place to do, you know, setting up for sound check yeah. that he decided yeah. to do that. that. We talked about spontaneity earlier. That's one of the ways yeah. he, he's a kind of artist that's keeping music really interesting and not canned spams. Just something really energetic and beautiful about that approach, uh, which I know James and I are. That's one, you know, one of the reasons why we're such big Third Man fans is for that reason. I will say this, that it's that Jack, all through, and he still does, continues to, and I said this before, in Don Quixote-like fashion, <laughs> tries to make stuff that is mysterious and interesting and secret when in a world where it's basically impossible. 
to do so. But he doesn't. He continues to try. He he constantly is trying to do stuff to where you know whether it's doing the acoustic tours about what state you're going to appear in and where sure. you're going to appear in that state, and you know, and then where's the place? And well, all it takes is one guy at the club to go, oh, he's here, and he hits it, and that's it. You know. Yeah. But he continuously is trying to make it mysterious, which is was the whole reason for, of course, the two bands, so that no one, so that the bands didn't know until the day of show, the audience didn't know until they got there, what dynamic it would put into it to make it, you know, different. That's why he did it. Right. No one had ever done it before because it's absurd. It's ridiculous. You can't, <laughs> nobody's ever done it because it's ridiculous. Yeah. He did it for artistically. That ICP story, Paul. Was so good. Yeah, I'm so glad that everybody is in love with this insane clown posse album uh, at Third Man. It just makes me so happy because it's such a controversial album that they put out. Like, it's not controversial yes. in the traditional sense, but controversial to the fan community because there are people who love it, there are people who hate it, and there are people who, like me, are like, this is weird and definitely <laughs> something Jack White would put out, and it's it makes sense, and I'm happy it exists. So <laughs> I'm glad they had such fun with it. And, uh, and hearing Fats talk about how professional they are and how talented they are, it makes me look at them in another light. You know, Dominic said similar things, and Jack has said similar things in the past, so it's 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 interesting to me. Yeah, that was a highlight for me, too. A lot of great stories from this section here. I love the bit where he turns the car around because <laughs> the Beck session. And I love that his wife was not only understanding of this, but was the one who told him to turn around. I know, I know. I love that. They sound like a very cute couple, and she sort of popped her head into the room, I think, once or twice when we were interviewing him, and they just... I just love him and her, and I love them, and I, I think that's great. Yes. Uh, but that was that was a really cool story about Beck and hearing that relationship blossom and hearing him talk about First Aid Kid and stuff, so yeah, really cool. So, James, why don't we splash down back into this interview with a whoop-whoop from the Insane Clown Posse. <laughs> So you're on the road with Blunderbuss. We know during that time frame is when the Lazaro LP started to come together. And so you're all over that one, too. Even even more so than Blunderbuss, actually. You play Pedal Steel on Three Women, your fiddle on Lazaretto, fiddle also on Fight for My Love and Black Bat Licorice, uh, Mandolin, Pedal Steel. The song Lazaretto, Dominic told us, was, a, uh, was more of an instrumental for a little while. Your fiddle solo on that is just absolutely awesome. What, what was it like in, in that session when you got to <laughs> rock that sick fiddle? <laughs> As I recall, it was because at the end, so I'm running it through the fiddle, like through a big amplifier with, a, I think, like an octave divider or something on the point. Because there weren't lyrics at that point. Because at the end, let's do just do this fiddle, just do this insane fiddle thing. Out. So I go okay, and I think it was one take. Like I so I did it, and so Jack goes, "That's great." He goes, "Okay, now double it." <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I tried like a numerous times to double but but it was so you know completely off the cuff that you, there's spaces where it's like the two notes kind of go in different directions and stuff <laughs> like that so it's actually two fiddles doing it the second one trying to play what the first one did okay it sounds a little like a fiddle duel when you're listening to it i always thought before we actually got the liner notes that it was maybe you and lily having some weird fiddle off or something <laughs> but it, yeah it's me playing both fiddles and and me trying to double the original first fiddle coming real close but there's certain notes that don't but you know he went no that's fine 
on that song definitely contributed to what me and Paul have both said before, which is that's probably the coolest thing we've ever heard. That song, that fiddle <laughs> solo. Like I, I sat out in the parking lot, listened to the whole album after I had bought it from the record store, and I was blown away just by the Lazaretto and that solo and everything about that was amazing. So fantastic job. Yeah, thank you, thank you. But you know, it's just sort of it's so much just you know, it's it's just Jack kind of kind of he can like I know what this will be you know right. this will be this like looking ahead you know yeah but Don Quixote needs his Sancho Panza so <laughs> and he's got it um, so you play a lot of different instruments on that LP I, I think James and I we first really became aware of you very much so during that Lazaretto tour because the, the tour bands were combined and so the faces were very consistent throughout each of the times and we saw that tour a few times we, we wound up seeing you at the Meriwether Post Pavilion in Maryland and we were pretty close for that one so we could see you playing the theremin uh-huh. that's pretty unusual at a rock concert but it, it kind of fit right in with Jack's show who was behind yeah. the decision to include the theremin it was actually I had been at one point from before I met Jack I was like got interested in theremin through a, a friend of mine Steve Ripley uh, who's a at engineer at Tulsa, he had to work with Leon Russell and stuff like that. He's a very close friend, and I worked with him with his band, The Tractors, and spinoffs of it and stuff like this in in Oklahoma. And in there, the, he had gotten, meaning Steve had gotten one of those big briar theremins that you put on the mic stand because he was going to use it on this one called the Hail Bop Boogie, about, <laughs> uh, but wound up like I was kind of fooling with it in the studio. And when I went back to, to, to go back, he goes, you know, you know what, just take the theremin because you're the only one person who can play it anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> so, so, I, so I took it back and I became, like, at one point interested for a while really trying to, you know, listening to recordings of Clara Rockmore and, and other great players and really the history of it and trying to, and it's excruciatingly difficult to play, truly play it, you know, like, yeah. like I properly and in tune with articulation i used it on a couple things in nashville here or there you know maybe and then kind of had put it away and when we were um in the studio and we were doing um we were um rehearsing that was it rehearsing right at the end of the rehearsals like jack was talking about one or two songs you go what would be like i need something that's like a long line like you know he was something that's more linear like you were talking about something and he had one of those in the studio including an original one and one of those it never came up before and i looked and i said i said how about if i play theremin he goes you could play theremin i said yeah and he goes great play theremin And that's how I start, that's how I start playing theremin. Wow, so, was it was it connected wow. to that TV on the stage? I, no, I, I, it wasn't. Oh, okay. No, it looks like it was, but it, but it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. It, it, no, it wasn't connected to the TV. Just sort of waved along with it a little bit there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Yeah. We had heard that uh, you actually play on Don't Hurt Yourself on the uh, Beyonce song for Lemonade. What was that session like? As I recall, yeah. Don't, then I'm playing, I think, electric violin. I think it's electric violin on that one. But we got the track. Let me think about how this was. It was saying it was like a track with a, like a like a rhythm track and a vocal. Mm-hmm. And then so we did those parts on it and seeing if you like it. And then there was, I think, another one done, but which wasn't Jack, if I'm remembering this correctly. But in the end, you just liked what 
Jack did in the studio with those parts. Gotcha. Yeah. So that that's what it was. It was, as I recall, it was her vocal and a rhythm track, and we stacked up the rest of stuff on it. Okay. Did you have to keep it a yeah. secret? Because I know that album dropped uh, very suddenly. Did they have you sign an NDA or something for that? Or? No, I don't, I don't remember that. Just sort of, I didn't really, kind of so much stuff like that would kind of happen periodically. I didn't really remember thinking about it. You know, see, like, oh, we'll see what happens with it, kind of thing. Yeah. You, know, that, you know, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Interesting. You Don't hurt yourself. Speaking of collaborations, yourself, Dominic, Lily Mae, and Corey Younce all played on Polly Punkneck's Truth or Tales EP. How did that come about? Was Polly somebody who was just sort of in the Nashville kind of scene and you guys had gotten to know her? How did that How did that come about? You know, she was, it was being, it was done at, at Mindy, who worked at Third Man, but she had a studio. And Polly Punkneck was a friend of hers. Gotcha. And so she was doing a record and through that, we all kind of wound up getting called in to do Mindy it. Mindy Watts. Many was, thank you. And that's, that's why. had a studio they were doing it there and through the, and she knew us you know because she was always there and and she was the assistant engineer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's what the connection is oh okay cool it's, it's an awesome yeah. ep we, i very much yeah, I, yeah. I dig it you know it's cool so now that the american epic sessions a documentary have been released which are amazing by the way do you have any uh stories about the sessions i know you were on call with dominic and lily and yeah any any standout performers or anything oh yeah i mean i mean i loved it we, we did it it was done and we went to la three times mm-hmm to do that, you know, and, and be, you know, on call for a couple of days and came back. And Jack called us in the first time, again, pretty spur of the moment, like he was out in L.A. working on it. And he just thought that he would like to have some of his crew there to be more, give some more diversity to what was going on, I think, is his thought, you know, what we could bring to it. So we were called to go out there and do it. I have to tell you that, that because of the touring that I've just done, I mean, I was just on tour with Gary Talon from the E Street oh, Band. Wow. And uh, had, been, had been doing for, I did a month in the U.S. And, and my wife, Christy Rose, was in the band, too. We were home for five days. And then I went, we went to the U.K. and Ireland for a couple of weeks. And then when that tour ended, I split off in that and went on and did the Nashville television tour. <laughs> yeah. You know, the show in Nashville. Yeah, so that was in U.K. and Ireland. So I was gone for like a long period of time. All through that, during that period is when the American Epic thing came out. And I have not seen, <laughs> I haven't seen one of them yet. I know it's, and people, I'm getting all these things, and, you know, Facebook, and people are going, oh, yeah, it's great. And, you know, I saw, well, I mean, I saw the rough cuts long ago. Sure, of, yeah. But I know how it looks and all that. But I have not, it's ridiculous, I know, but I haven't seen the, the, it yet. I haven't even seen one. 
right. installment of it yet. But that being said, doing it was great, and the production of it was about, you know, I'm going to say 90-plus percent Jack White. Oh, okay, cool. You know, yeah, I, I wasn't sure what level of, because I know T-Bone was in there and all that stuff. 90%. Yeah, I mean, he was, T-Bone was there for stuff like that, but I mean, H. Jack, he was the one who was really hunkered down and, you know, doing everything all day long. You know, just that's what he, and it's so much up his alley and the idea of it. But I mean, my favorites there, I mean, probably my favorite in a way was playing tenor banjo with Nas, you know, (laughs) because he was like, it was so cool because like he came in, he listens. And again, it was, was, Jack would do it this way. You talk about, we were talking about the spontaneous thing. It's like in general, like people would have ideas, maybe some people would have ideas about what they might want to do, but it's more like, you know, comes in and Jack goes, hey, Nas, listen to this. And he puts on, you know, Memphis Jug Band and he's listening to it. He's just going, okay, okay. You know, he start write, write the lyrics down, listen to it, <laughs> listen to it. And he does it. You know, yeah. and he gets he gets it because it's what it is. It's There is a, a rap, like very much rap-like quality to right. it. Well, it is. I mean, it's, it's from a long time ago, but it's still, it is yeah. that. It's the roots of that. Sure. And right. he could hear that. So that was, to do that with Nas was very cool. He's on the road again. Black woman, let me tell you why. why? Black women's evil do things on the slide. Whoa. She look for your supper to be good and hot. Ah. She never put the neck bone in the pot. She's on the road again. And also to play with Taj Mahal because I, you know, grew up speaking that he would have been one of those people like me. I was talking about when I was a teenager that I would have been. I really like Taj Mahal. Right. Got to play with him. And uh, numerous other ones, I guess, but it was great fun to do it. And also, yeah, I said to her, my wife just walked in, she goes, yeah, great fun to do it. She goes, and you'd like to see it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would like to see it. Well, it's funny that, like, uh, that was recorded, obviously, over so many different, like, years, you know, a span of time. It's funny, you can track when the different periods of time are by a couple of hallmarks. Your facial hair changes uh, considerably. My facial hair changes, yes, you can tell. Yeah, and uh, and Lily May's hair gets very big yes. and then very flat. Uh, so I was able to sort of kind of track, like, oh, okay, that must have been 2012. You know, and my wife is going, oh, yeah, you yeah. need to stop this. Um. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. Got, we know for a period. It was like it was actually 2013 into 2014, maybe even a, a little bit in 15. I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. but it was a yeah, it was great. It was great to do it. And, you know, the whole idea of, of working with that electric, that first electric microphone, where you had to be, and, and doing test runs, like you do these test runs beforehand, then go back and listen to it, and you go, and, you know, I've got to move back, you got to move, you know, the drums got to move back here, and then when that happens, I have to lean in with you, Lily, when we do this, and then, you know, you, so you do a couple of cuts, you know, you listen to them back, and you get it to where everybody's almost choreographed to what they're going to do, and then you go. Mm-hmm. It was great. We asked Dominic the same thing. When are we going to get a Fats Blue series of just you? I want to see your face on the cover. Thank you, thank you. I was, it's 
come up, I don't know. He, yeah, he's just not doing very much of anything Roku's that blue series, that, you know, right now. So it's a good, you know, people have asked me that, and I feel like, oh, you know, I should do, I'll send him an email. <laughs> yeah, come on. Yeah, come on. Yeah, come on, come on. Yeah. 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 But thanks, yeah, I'll, I'll see. I, food for thought, thank you. Mm-hmm. So I have two quick ones. My first one is, what's coming up next? What do we have to look forward to? Well, um, I'm doing, as I said, yeah, doing some residencies. Uh, I'm going to be working with the Canadian producer, Steve Dawson, uh, who's uh, I'm doing some Canadian festivals with him. Continue to work in particular Western Canada. Doing that to do some, you know, to do some new recording and do some new recording with my wife. And we had this little duo album that we had that we recorded where I am standing right now in his house oh, cool. out in the country. I recorded it out here. But to do some more recordings and that sort of, you know, I continue to, you know, writing stuff. I just got a new 19, a new, it's not new, it's but, but 1931 Vega Tenor Banjo. I've, I've, the Tenor Banjo was the first thing I ever picked up in my life, but kind of going back and writing rags and stuff like that and rather archaic forms on the Tenor Banjo is something that I've been doing recently. So, right. you know, do a little more recording and I'll be pretty busy with some touring until the fall, you know, with various different, very varied things that I'm doing. Cool. Well, that, it sounds like you've got a, a very full dance card this year. Um, <laughs> sounds like you've got yeah. a lot going on. I, I know we're. I so. Yeah, I know we're looking forward to what comes next from you and what comes next from Jack and Third Man. And yeah. I know we're we're here with bated breath. Uh, <laughs> my last question for you is, and feel free not to answer this. Uh-huh. Fats, given name, nickname, prefer to keep it a mystery. Nickname from teen, teenager. Ah, okay. Yeah. I've yeah. been wondering so that for many that years, many and, years and, and I realized <laughs> that now is going to be my only chance to ask you. <laughs> no, just, just, because it, it just, you know, the thing of, of calling somebody the opposite of what they are, like tiny is a great yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a perfect yeah. rambling man name, though. So. Yeah, well, that's yeah. So that's what it is. Well, we could also uh, we could also perpetrate some grand myth about it if you like. I can write some sort of sonnet or something. We can come up with something <laughs> grander if you prefer. Mm, no, no, it's okay. It's fast and, and various permutations of like, like Paul Burke, he refers to, he always calls Bank, he, he'll call, say, Fat Man, what's up? Fat Man. He, he will say that, you know. And then my wife, Christy Rose, will very often refer, when she talks about something going on, she has to say, ought to see what the Fat Man's doing. She will say that all the time. Oh, that's awesome. So. Well, we want to thank you so much for coming on, Fats. This was just incredible for us. As I I said at the top, we're such big fans of yours, and you've been so generous with your time, and we really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, And, uh, you know, if you try to keep in touch, okay? Yeah. Yeah. uh, Thank you so much. Dominic had said that uh, in times of great strife or in times of great luxury, you have a catchphrase, and I think it's very apt in the luxurious sense. We can't put a price on this lifestyle. Yes, right. Yes. <laughs> I, that's what you say when you're, you know, dragging equipment up two flights of stairs. You go, you know, you can't put a price on his lifestyle. <laughs> Thank you so much, Fats. We appreciate it. Thanks, Fats. Thanks, James. Thanks, Paul. Take care, guys. All Thanks. Right, you All too. Right. Happy Fourth. Happy Fourth. All right. Back to the show.
Well, we learned all about the American epic stuff. I mean, more so than we got also from Dominic. So it's super interesting to see how on call everybody was, almost like doctors at a hospital with like pagers, you know, they're like, you have to get in on this session, so be here in 10 minutes, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was really cool, and I really loved hearing the stories about the Jack White LPs that he played on, and the, and how, how the theremin came into the mix of the touring group, and I was especially interested in hearing about Beyonce and how that all worked, because I guess in my mind's eye, I had always envisioned that with them being in the same room partly because it came out not all that long before the Tribe Called Quest album, and I know Jack was in the room for that, and he I know he, if I had to guess, he's kind of like an in-the-room guy, you know, he probably would not like the artificiality of flying in a solo or flying in a vocal, but it sounds like, and this is very fascinating to me, that there is another version of that song kicking around, and that it wasn't set that Jack was going to do that. It was an option that Beyonce wound up going with. That was one of the more interesting revelations to me because it seems less like a deliberate choice on Beyonce's part and more like, a, oh, hey, this might work. Almost along the same lines as the Rome soundtrack a little bit, although with the Rome soundtrack is sort of doubled down on it and stuff. But yeah, very, very interesting. I'm super happy you asked about it too because there's not many opportunities we get to get more information on the Jack White side of that album right there's you know there's some stuff that jack had put out in some interviews that he had done but there's very little information about him it's mostly about beyonce you know for good reason it's her album but for us it was always kind of curious how how that came to be and how the songs themselves came to be so it's it's nice to get some background so thank you for asking that question well i found it very interesting and i think the only other person we could really ask about that would be probably ruby right i think ruby sings on that a little bit you're probably right so we should uh hey ruby what's up (laughs) Um, get on the show Let's do this. Yeah. We can't really put a price on this interview. (laughs) No, you can't put a price on this interview, especially now knowing what Fats really is. Yes. The name. Not not the, like, we know who he was. I mean. Now we know who you are. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) No, we, 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 I'm also glad you asked about his nickname. And I'm super glad to hear that not only did he not tell us his real name, which I enjoy having that little bit of mystery. No, at this point, I don't want to know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, not only that, but it's it's in the same realm as calling, like, a big guy tiny. Yes. The opposites. It's very funny, and I'm very happy to hear it. And we want to thank Fats again for giving us that opportunity. Uh, We can't believe you did it, but you did. And you even dealt with all the crazy scheduling and coordinating three different time zones so on the 4th of july no less so that was very very nice uh and we very much enjoyed having you on the show fats if you're listening thank you yes thank you so much we greatly appreciate it and you were a very kind person and a very nice person to talk to and very understanding of two schmucks from new jersey so thank you yeah yeah even had some insight about new jersey and speaking of thank yous james we got some shout outs to give here We've got uh, lots of uh, new people who are interacting with us on social media. Uh-huh. We're going to give some shout-outs here. We got Gloria Cabe Gwyn. Or Cabe Gwyn. Cabe Gwyn, I think. Thank you very much, Gloria. We have Glafera Deuna Angeles. Very nice. Yes. We have Nick Flannery. 
We have Missy Elliot. No, we have Michael <laughs> Elliot. We have at my own purple door, which may be a sex thing. We have Jay Robinson. We have Russell Brakefield and Gene Abrahams. I've never heard Abrahams like a plural of Abraham. It's uh, it's it's like if Abraham had several hams. Abra Abrahams. So you're saying Gene is a magician who can conjure <laughs> conjure pork products, multiple hams, right? And her name is a pastiche on her abilities. Yes, it, her name. I like this. It is a Pokemon who carries not one but multiple hams. And we've got our day in day out crew who are with us, commenting, talking, tweeting, facebooking, all that good stuff at us. We've got Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation. We got Andre, ice cold lime man. We got Eileen Corsana. We see you over there, Eileen. We've got David Poe. Po 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 po. That was much better than the one I just had to edit, James. Thank you. You're welcome. We've got S. A. Franco. What does that mean? We've got Jeremy Riles <laughs> keeping us on the rails, Mr. Jeremy Riles. We've got our third woman in spirit and our correspondent on the street, Callie Durga. Thank you so much, Callie. We've got Adrian King, the punk rock. Queen and Amy Hart, the heart of the operation. And my oh me, we got me oh my in the house. And look at that. We're laughing out loud for not the first time, but the second time because it's LOL 2.0. Thank you so much for tweeting at us. LOL 2.0. James, I love. LOL 2.0, oh my God. James, I love the spirit. I love the fire in the belly. Love the passion. Thank you. James, if people would like to get in touch with us on social media, you could do several things. You could go to facebook.com slash thirdmen and join our Facebook group. Tweet at us. We're at thirdmencast on Twitter. You could tumble with us at thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com Paul, we're tumbling. Our ratings are tumbling (laughs) as I speak. Uh, You could send us an email, thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our iHeartRadio page. That is Spreaker. S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R You go to Spreaker.com and search The Third Men on Spreaker That's where we host the show Uh, You can also visit our webpage TheThirdMen.wordpress.com Where we also host the show there As sort of a backup in case something goes wrong Horribly wrong And we've also got the show notes up there as well If you want to read all the cool research we did You can go to YouTube And search us on YouTube That would be awesome Please rate, review, and subscribe to our show And Hey, we actually got some cool listener questions. I think we're going to do one of those pretty soon. Yeah, that'll be good. Just got uh, one today. We've got more than enough. So yeah, give us give us some more listener questions. We'll an- you ask it, we'll answer it. That's yep. what you do with questions. We'd like to thank a couple more people real quick. First of all, thank you to our third man for this entire episode. Fats Kaplan, you were great fantastic yeah we love you and we'd also like to thank sam Cuber and tom valenti for help with our theme song we're the third men as well as Susanna roundtree for the intros and outros of our program how professional she makes us seem i thought there was a follow-up there too uh and until next week james i'm gonna be looking for a home rambling on the road i'll be looking for a home at a folk festival near you For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time.
<laughs> well, let's start at the beginning. Welcome to the Third Men Podcast, an advice show for the modern era. Uh, we're not including that. No. Nope. Uh, You know what's funny is uh, in those very early 2000s, we were just going through and watching all the Harry Potter movies, and um, boy, the hair in the early 2000s was just god awful. Oh, it's terrible. It it was so long. Uh, a bit ostentatious, it was. Oh. You can visit our iHeartRadio page. I always yawn at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I always do it. It's, it's a passionate belly I have. Your levels are low again. God damn it! <laughs> They're back. <laughs> Saving. Gotta ah! save. You know, again, thank you for hanging with us. You good? You, you all right for, for two more? Sure, yeah, okay. of course. Cool, sure. Cool. I'm, eating, I'm eating some cottage cheese to make me not a monster for this. The ultimate transformer. <laughs> Watch me transform. Not not at all. I'm a stanomorph. Hello. Hello, Fats. 